In a world where it seems like there's so much going wrong, I want you to see the people who are spending their lives doing and seeing the good. Welcome to the Doing Good Podcast, where we discuss the stories of people who are changing the world in their own way. I'm your host, Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. And today I have a very special guest on the podcast, Portia Lauder. Portia is a writer, speaker, photographer, and advocate. She works with at-risk youth and women struggling with addiction. Portia mentors young adults and speaks regularly at jails and institutions. She recently published her first book, Living Louder, A Compassionate Journey Through Federal Prison. Portia spent four and a half years in prison and came to know how valuable she is to our Father in Heaven. She speaks openly about her mistakes and what it took to move past them. Portia is married to her husband, Chad, and they enjoy the simple things in life with their six children and four grandchildren. Portia, what a bio. (laughs) I cannot wait to talk with you today. Welcome to Doing Good. Thank you so much, Carmen. I was saying earlier when we were doing our little pre-interview, how, just from reading that, how do you condense all of that into this short 40 minute (laughs) podcast. Like, oh, I've been to prison and I wrote a book and now I'm an advocate. It's like, okay, where do we even begin? Where do we even start? So I guess I I will just kind of start at the beginning. Tell me a little bit about your childhood, who you were growing up, and I guess the decisions and choices that led you to live this very unique, incredible life. Well, you know, I... I grew up in Utah. I am the oldest of seven children, and my parents were really non-traditional. Like, I don't know if, probably the easiest way to describe them is they were like hippies. Okay. <laughs> and, and I was funny because I was having a conversation with my dad today, and I said, you know, dad, there were so many good things that I learned from that upbringing. Like, you don't have to think like everybody else, you know? Yeah. And when I got into prison, it really helped me to, to know that I had choices. Like, just because the crowd is doing this doesn't mean I have to. But there were also things that were difficult. And I think looking back, if there is one thing that I wish I could change, it would be, I wish my mom would have known how amazing she was. Like, oh. I really wish she would have known her worth because she didn't. And I think it's really hard to give your kids something you don't have. Yeah. Yeah, And so if I could go back and step with my mom and just see her and know her and how amazing she is, that would be what I would want to do. And, but as in a really non-structured home, so uh, we were baptized members of the church, but we didn't, I don't ever remember scripture study or prayer and that, that also we didn't have to go to church if we didn't want, it was kind of like, we didn't have to go to school if we didn't want. So there was just a lot of kind of <laughs> do what you want to do, but there's a lot of creativity. So we would play and, and build things and just that type of thing. So yeah, when I was 13, I quit going to church. I didn't want to go anymore. And that was really when I started struggling with, I guess, my first addiction, you could say, which was relationships. So I could see that, you know, looking back, I can see that I thought, what boys thought of me was the most important thing. And I think that that comes from just not knowing who you are. Sure. And it probably happens for all teenagers to some degree, but for me, it was just, it was a big problem. So I started dating boys that were a lot older than me. 
16, 17, and I'm 13. And and of course, your parents were okay with you dating, <laughs> right, at 13? Right, because you do what you want to do and you learn the hard way. And that resulted for me in terms of learning. When I was 17, I was pregnant with my first child. And so, yeah, that was, wow. I dropped out of high school. I moved into a low-income apartment and I was taking care of other kids that were also in single parent homes. And I really just remember feeling like I just need to find the right guy. That's what it's going to take, you know? Right. And so I, I married someone that was 10 years older than me. We didn't even know each other very well. He said, you know, we started dating within a month. He said, you should marry me. I can take care of you and your son. I had a little boy and a month later I married him and his parents or his brother's backyard got married. And so, yeah, really, you know, really committed relationship. And yeah, about that, <laughs> about that time, my parents, my dad got a job. So I lived in, in Ridgeville, just outside of Ridgeville in a small town. Yeah. And my dad got transferred to Salt Lake, which I had never been to Salt Lake. Like I had really been so sheltered and had never been on an airplane, had never, you know, Wow. (laughs) So I drove up to visit with my parents, me and my son. And I remember, I remember coming over the point of the mountain and thinking, wow, the city, like I could get a job. It was just like the world opened up for me. And my uncle owned photo studios in the malls, the King Cannon Studios a long time ago. Yep. So I, my uncle said he would hire me. And so I went back and I told my husband, hey, I want to move up there. And he said, well, I'm never going to leave this town. And we don't even get along that well. Why don't we just get divorced and you go? Oh, <laughs> oh my heavens. Yeah. So like not knowing your worth, right? Not knowing who you are, you can see why that's such a big deal. Yes. Yeah. And I could see that when I got to prison as well. Just that not having that grounding in who you are is, is a real challenge. And so- right. I moved up, got a job, and found out I was pregnant within about a month. <laughs> and so I called my husband, and we weren't getting along very well. And he said, I don't, I don't want to be a part of the baby's life or your life. So that was a difficult time for me. I remember feeling really alone. I was, you know, 21 when Shelby was born, and my mom was helping take care of my kids. I had these younger siblings. My dad was working and um, went right back to work. And again, like, in fact, my dad said, why don't you let me bless the baby? So I went to church. He blessed her. And I remember sitting in church and thinking, I just need to get married. Like these guys are. (laughs) Like not knowing it was this internal job. And clearly I wasn't very good at picking the right person. But then again, I really wasn't the right person. So it's, you know, it makes sense. Right. not pick the right person. And I started dating again and I got pregnant again. So this is this, and this was terrifying because I was a little bit older and I knew that my children deserved better. I had a job, so I'm a little more mature. And I said my first prayer and I said, Heavenly Father, I'm so scared. I don't even know what to do. I can't bring another child into this world and not give them a father. Yeah. And I felt this warmth come over me and like an internal strength that 
I needed to give this child up for adoption. And that was surprising and totally strengthening for me. So I told my parents, my dad said, I, I believe in you, you can do this. And my mom said, that's way too hard. I'll raise the child. And I said, no, it's the right thing. Like I just know. And so I started looking and went to several different lawyers. And I mean, I'm just this young pregnant girl with two single, you know, with a single mom trying to find. And I found, I, you know, the, I went to, I think three lawyers is the last lawyer. I looked through all the files and then I just knew as soon as I saw David's family, I was like, this is his family, you know? And they were amazing. I adore his family. They were with me through the entire pregnancy and, and they were there the day he was born. And immediately I was alone. Well, no, my sister came. I, my mom couldn't come. It was too hard for my mom. Oh, <laughs> you know? yeah. So she just, and so my sister was there. I didn't even remember that because it was pretty, I mean, there was a lot, a lot of hard things happening that day. Yes. But yes. she came, Steve and Rhonda were in the room and then she went and got my kids after he was born. So they held him for the first time and I got to see that. Oh yeah. So a beautiful experience. And as soon as he was born, I felt completely empty inside because I just didn't know who I was. I didn't have a foundation. Right. And I remember the nurse prescribing me Percocet and I started using Percocet. And then, and the thing that I noticed was it took away the emptiness they felt inside. And then I decided, Oh no, I don't need a man. I just need more Percocet. (laughs) You know? So and, and that's what I did. I started using drugs and it just, I became addicted and it got to the point where I was, I lost my job. Like things got really bad for me. And I remember being gone all the time and my parents were taking care of my kids. And I came home really late one night and my little boy who was eight, but in the sun was crying by the window of my mom just looked at me when I walked in and she said, I don't know what it would take for you to change your life. This little boy's been sitting here all night and all he wants is you. And if this isn't enough for you, nothing ever would be. Wow. Yeah. And so I walked downstairs and I laid on the floor and I sobbed. And I I had my son, you know, and I begged God. I said, take this from me. Yeah. From me. I'm so tired of hurting these people that I love. I don't right. care. I'll never date again. I know I can't fix my problems. You know, right. it's like, I knew I was broken. And my son, he, he says, mom, what's wrong? And I said, I'm so ugly, Jace. How could I have done this to you and to myself? How could I be this person? And he goes, mom, no. And he pulls me into the mirror. And he goes, look at you, mom, you're beautiful. Oh, how precious. Oh my goodness. And so I, I woke up the next morning and I walked across the street and I told my bishop, who I didn't know, who I never met, I need help. I just got yeah. this for Please help me. And yeah. he said, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> he said, let me get you in touch with some people. He was, I want to help you. And he set up an appointment and I started going to the 12-step support group meetings. And the thing that I would tell your listeners is be grateful when someone will speak truth to you. Cause this is another lesson that I've learned. My Bishop told me on our first meeting, he said, why do you think you've done all these things? Cause I kind of threw up on it. It was like, my life is a mess. You know, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because why do you think you've done all this? And I said, because my mom and my family and, 
And he said, Portia, I think you might be the most selfish person I've ever met. He said, I want to help you. I know that sounds so terrible, right? I'm like in shock. Yes. <laughs> he gets thrown out for that now. But, what? <laughs> but it was true. It was true. And I knew that he loved me and cared for me. He said, I want you to keep thinking about it. Why do you think you've done the things you've done? And so it took me a while. And about two months later, and I continued to work with him, I called him up because I had his number. I called him at work and I said, I know why I did all those things. He said, why? And I said, because I wanted to. I chose it. And he's like, now you Taking responsibility for yourself. Right? It wasn't. I mean, somebody else could have had those same things happen to them and would have chosen differently. I chose them. And that, and recognizing your choices is where your power lies to change your life. And so, you know, I went through the process of, of changing my life. It's not easy. He promised me, he's like, I promise you with priesthood power and authority, that if you pray and you read your scriptures and you go to church, your whole life will change. Yeah. I needed the whole life change. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm like desperate. I'm bold. At this point, I don't trust my own thinking because I've right. tried everything and I fail. So I'm listening and I'm going to church and I pray and I'm reading my scriptures. And it's hard because yeah. I don't feel comfortable, right? Right. And it takes a while. And in about six months, I, I'm sitting at the zoo with my son at a field trip and I'm looking around going, can you believe this? I wanted to scream. I'm being a good mom. Look, like, look at me, you know? It was amazing for me to be there in that moment. And I looked around and I thought, if God can fix this universe, if he can put these animals in the world and everything together to work in perfect balance, he can solve my problems. For sure. Yes. And I, and I, it was like three months later that I felt free. Like I felt freedom. I remember rolling the window down and the sun on my face and feeling that bondage gone, you know, it was just, yeah, it was beautiful. And, and then because I wasn't looking, (laughs) I met my husband and, and Chad is exceptional. He's an amazing man. He adopted my kids, my two kids. Oh, um, and we went to the temple. (laughs) And so, and, and now we've got to speed up because there's a whole, this, this is funny because I'll go to the MTC and I'll share a little bit of this and, and I'll see the kids are just so happy that yes. I made it. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. And then I look at them and I go, it's going to get harder, kids. So don't get too discouraged. <laughs> don't hold out too tight because oh. here it comes. So, but no, I remember waking up every day grateful because I knew the difference. You know, every yes. day I just remember thinking, this is my life. We bought a little house. And we lived by the temple. I would go to the Timpanogos temple every week just on my own, just to learn and feel the spirit. And I started my own photography business and it just grew. It grew, grew, grew. And Chad, you know, we were doing life. And I got pregnant again because like I say, that's just me. I just only tried one time and I have six kids. Yeah. (laughs) So we had our first son. And then I found out I was pregnant again right away with our daughters. They were 18 months apart. Oh, wow. my back went out. And oh. so after I had her, I had to have surgery. And my life was, I went from like 20 weddings a year to 200. Like I had employees, my business is growing. We build a new home. I have my second baby. I've got two teenage kids. And after I had surgery, they prescribed prescription drugs. And I didn't tell them that I was an addict. And, and it just, 
my life took a big turn at that point. You know, was it instant as soon as you took that again? As soon as I take prescription drugs, and I know this because um, even you know, I right now I'm eight years sober, but I had an injury, a really bad injury, where my hamstring was torn off the bone, and I was terrified when they sh- the paramedics showed up. I said, "I am an addict. Don't give me any of that." Yeah. And, and they had to because they couldn't move me or anything. I was just my whole leg was bleeding internally and everything. So when they gave me the prescription drugs, as soon as they do, I think different. <laughs> I just know this about myself. Yeah. I can't use them. Like, it's so scary. It's like the one thing that could take me out. I know this about me. Like, I'm a total addict. And I use, I don't use prescription drugs for anything, for any kind. Because yeah. I just get addicted. I can get addicted to anything. It's just my personality. And so, but I did. I got addicted. And I, I tried to fight it. But I didn't get honest didn't tell my husband what was going on. I didn't talk to the bishop. I just kept trying to fight it. And eventually I got involved in these illegal real estate deals. You know, I, I was trying to basically slow down with photography. And I thought, well, if we paid off our house, I wouldn't have to work so hard. And it was all bad, <laughs> all bad choices. Right. So when that happened, you know, I knew when I got involved with the deals that they were, don't do it. Like I felt the spirit tell me, don't do it. Right. And at first I was like, oh, I would never do that. And then just a few months later, I was involved in those deals. You know, it just, I just kept on going down the path. And and I remember when the FBI showed up, just being completely terrified. I thought, please go away. Just go away. I worked too hard for my family. You can't have them, you know? And I like wanted wanted to lay it out for them and just say, you don't know what I've already come through. Right. Right. I I can't go to prison. I just can't like I'll lose my family. And, and I just, I couldn't get to a place like, here's another lesson that I've learned looking back, which is, you know, when you make a mistake, just own it because denying the mistake makes that mistake so much worse. Yes. And I know how the FBI showed up and I said, okay, this is what I did and laid it all out and said, I made this mistake. What can I do to make it right? Yeah, a completely different outcome. But really? I was, yeah, it would have been a completely different outcome. Instead, I just denied it. And I blamed. There's a lot of other people doing illegal things that are so blatant. Mine is gray. There's banks are just worse than me. You know, all these yeah. excuses. And, yeah. and there's no power in that, you know. Right. Just like the bishop told me, like, when you recognize you made these choices because you chose them, you wanted to, you did that, you own it, then there's power to move forward. Yeah. Yes. You know? But and power I was just, to make the right choice at right. two that you're like, okay, if I if I own that I made the bad choices, it actually then gives me power to know I'm also capable of making right choices. If everything is helpless, then you can't own good or bad. You're just floating along in life. But when right. you can own the bad, then you can say, okay, so I am then capable of also doing good things and making the right choices too. Absolutely. Right. But I didn't. And I... It went, it went quite a while, and eventually I, I walked into a federal courthouse. Now, the thing about the courtroom, <laughs> it is a total day of reckoning. <laughs> I mean, all the denial is gone because yes. you're sitting in the front of the room. Oh. Yeah. I can't even imagine. It's the most daunting. Like, I remember I wrote a book about it, so, I mean, I remember it real clearly. And I actually didn't meet anyone in prison that didn't have the same experience. That this is the day of reckoning for us. You go in the courtroom, and they say, the United States of America versus Portia Lauer. 
And all of a sudden, I think my whole country gets me. You know, I just you know, I just feel like, whoa. It's yeah. like this, whoa, like, how did I get here? How yes. did this happen? And I look back wow. at my husband and my kids, and I am just so devastated that I've done this to them. The oh. reality that I have drugged this family through this, the pain of the sorrow I felt, I just immediately started to cry. I just had tears. And I knew right then that the judge was going to give me a maximum sentence, which was seven years. Up to that point, I had been in complete denial about that. And all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa. And I could see that I had done this to myself. Yeah. It's much better to come to that conclusion on your own than walk in a courtroom. (laughs) Then you can do something about it. Now I'm just feeling like, what have I done? know and I got up and I just said your honor I I know what you're going to do today I probably deserve it I just want to apologize to my family and my community and he said all right Miss Otter I'm sentencing you to 84 months in federal prison which is seven years and my youngest daughter was seven years old so I looked back and I thought okay you know I, I was trying to just take it in and then I sat down and my husband stood up and he pled with the judge. He said, please give her some time to say goodbye to her kids, which was one of the most tender experiences of my life because I felt like at such a low point to have the man that I had just drugged through this stand there and advocate for me. It was like the most, I felt like just in the presence, I was so honored to have a husband that loved me that way that you know, it kind of cut through all the other hard things. Yes. The reality that I was going to have to do this and walk through this was very real. But the fact that Chad and I, even though, you know, I had a lot of repenting to do, but we're married in God's temple and we're endowed with power and protection. And that bond is much firmer than anything earthly that can break it. Yeah. Repent. Yes. Or when, you know, when you keep, when you keep your covenants and, I had done one thing right, which was I had been talking to my state president and my bishop. So they knew what I was going through and what was going on. And, and I was even, you know, I was not just, I was not excommunicated. I was able to take my garments with me. I mean, they were really work with me to help me. They knew I I had a rough road ahead and things that I needed to do. They're like, we want you to have all the strength you can have. I mean, that's, I love the gospel. I've been so supported by her community. I can't I mean really our state president and bishop showed up to give us a blessing right after I was sentenced at our home. Our ward wrapped their arms around my family, our neighbors, our, our, my kids' teachers, the principal reached out to my kids, counselors. We want your kids to know they can come at any time. This is an open, safe place for them to talk. My kids were celebrated for their strengths. And that's like, wow. Yeah. I have, I mean, anyone that tries to tell me that, you know, well, how, what was it? I've been asked that question by members and non-members. What was it like in your religion? I'm like, so unbelievably kind and compassionate. Wow. No. What a blessing. Yeah. How how did that look logistically? That's like, okay, mom is going to be in prison and you have your youngest is seven. Yeah. Were your older children, did they just kind of take on the role? Yeah. So... I mean, I, my older two kids were, my, were married, so Jason Shelby, and then we had a 12-year-old, a 14-year-old, and a 7-year-old. So, yeah, they just circled around each other. My older daughter was there every morning to pick up my daughter, 
get her hair done and take her to school. They just helped each other. Neighbors helped. We had a neighbor reach out and say, if Chad and the kids want to move into our house in the basement, they had a finished basement so that we can help support them. <laughs> like, oh, like this is the kind of love and support that we were given. But let me tell you, you know, because I've even, since I got home from prison, I've gone and talked to leadership in the church, you know, yeah. had, and because they wanted to know how can we support people that are going through this. Yeah. And the thing that I know I did right was that I reached out and I was so open about my struggles. Like as soon as the next morning after I was sentenced, I literally reached out on Facebook and said, this has happened. I'm devastated. Please support my family any way you can. I know what I did was wrong. I didn't expect it to be quite this severe, but it is. And I'm going to need all the help. It was like all the pride was gone. Like I have nothing now to support my family. Right. Yeah. And, And when you do, when you let go of what anyone thinks, which prison has a leveling way of doing that. It's like, oh, well, now what? You know, right? It is, it's here. People just rallied around us. I had, I was walking outside our house and a neighbor just stopped their car in the middle of the street and ran over and gave me a hug and said, I don't even know what to say to you. I just want you to know that we're here. We love you. Like it was just that beautiful. So that is incredible. And so yeah. what was it like walking into prison for that first time, knowing oh this is now my life for four, well, it was, I was gone for four and a half. I was yeah. sentenced to seven. It was complete. No, this is, so I would love to point this out. Most devastating experience ever, more devastating than walk in the courtroom because I left a family and community that loved me. And I walked into a federal prison in Dublin, California. They don't have them in Utah, so you have to leave the state. And I was, Surrounded by a thousand women, all wearing khaki in a cement cells. And I just thought, I can't do it. Like for three days, I laid on my buck in my cell, just so brokenhearted. And then I got on my knees and I said, the most important prayer of my entire life. I said, Heavenly Father, I feel like nobody. I have failed so big. My, I am in the deepest hole. How could I have brought myself here? I said, I'm not a mother. I'm not a wife. I have no friends. I'm nobody to anybody. I need to know who I am to you. And I could, I I literally could feel and picture myself kneeling before the Savior. And I felt the most incredible amount of love I've ever felt in my entire life come into that cell. More love than I, my husband could ever give me or love than I'd ever experienced. And I thought, I never needed a man. I didn't know. I never knew who I was. And I could see that I had this incredible purpose in such a weak and awful place. I was important and valuable. And I could see how valuable everybody else in prison was. All these women wearing khaki, I could see their incredible potential and who they are. And it changed me. Now, I still had four and a half years in prison to do. It was not easy. There were days that were so heartbreaking. But knowing who you are and what you're capable of gives you the strength to fight for it, to get through it. I never gave up because I know who I am. And I would go through that again and I to know who I am. And I, I just think that in our hardest, most painful, heart-wrenching moments, There is the most beautiful knowing when we get on our knees to reach out to our Heavenly Father. 
know, maybe some of us can figure that out without the hard way. But if that's what it took for me, it was worth it because it's changed me. I've never been the same. And it took numerous times of getting back on my knees and saying, I need to know again. Yeah, you know, yeah. This is too hard. Yeah. I think there were times that I told Chad, you should just divorce me and go. I've ruined your life. you know. And he's like, Chad, I love you. You're the best. I would never, you know, he was so supportive, but that wasn't enough. I needed to know who I was to him and father to get through. Yes. How did your kids deal with that? Coming home, how did you keep in touch with them? How, how did so you hard. relationship? Yeah. Well, it helped me. I wrote letters and, and we didn't get a lot of visits and I prayed, prayed, prayed. And what I knew was that as I became the best version of myself, as I faced those things about myself that needed to change, as I got honest and real, and as I served others, I was doing the most important thing I could do for my kids right where I was. It's the only thing I could do, you know? I mean, it was heartbreaking. I w- when they came to visit, it was heartbreaking because I hadn't seen my, kid, my family for a year. I got transferred after a year to Dublin from California to Minnesota. And financially, Chad's trying to recover from all of this and take care of kids. And so he comes out. And when I saw my kids, I thought, I'm going to die. Like they had grown six inches, you know, and they were struggling. And with Sadie and Jackson, I just looked at him and I said, this is my fault. Don't be angry at the world. Don't be angry at other kids or the principal or anyone else. No, this was me. Write me a letter. Tell me how I hurt you. I want you to tell me what I did because what I did was wrong. I needed them to know that it was 100% me. And I needed them to be able to share how I hurt them because that was the only way that they were going to heal. We had to start somewhere and it was a foundation of truth. Yeah. Otherwise they were going to grow up feeling like they had, they were victims and I didn't want that. I wanted them to know, yes, this isn't fair, but it's me. It's not the government. It's not your teachers because Jackson was just angry, you know, and he was hurting. Yes. So. And so I can, that's such an incredible thing that you, you were able to, and just as a mother would say, I will take this pain. And as our father in heaven does like give it to me like I'll take it and you said same thing to your sweet kids like okay just give it to me let me let me take it just say say it to me how when you got home what's your relationship like now with your children like did it take some time to kind of rebuild yeah it's it's a process I I am so proud of all of them and right where they are one of the beautiful things that's happened is I've been able to reconnect with the son that I gave up for adoption, with David. Oh, wow. It's been so beautiful. He's he's a videographer and I'm a photographer. So like I he's been able to go with me in when I speak sometimes and film. He's gone with me into prisons, which has been so amazing. You know, wow. my kids, they've loved and supported each other. It's been hard, but man, have they grown. I'm so proud of them. And and we're, we're growing together, you know, I can honestly say that if I had gotten away with the mistakes that I made and not gone to prison, the outcome would have been worse. What would that have taught my kids? You know, right. I mean, I would never undo it the way that it went other than maybe I would have quicker acknowledged my mistake, you know, yeah. but still I had the choice at a certain point to completely own where I was. And that taught my children. They learned we don't give up. We never right. give up. They learn right. that. 
The other thing that I know now is that because I know who I am, I can give that to my kids. You know, I can't tell them how amazing they are, but not know who I am. And right. they will know. I have to know. And that's why as a mother, I think it's so important. We just work on us, get ourselves so firm, make ourselves important in our own life and build that connection with our Heavenly Father. Even especially when our kids are struggling, they need us to be the foundation for them. Yeah, because when when we see our parents living life confidently and with strong, firm testimonies, like you said, like that was one of the biggest things for me growing up when I look back and is listening to you talk today, like what gave me the most self-confidence? And honestly, it was, oh, my parents knew who they were and where they stood in the faith. Like I never questioned does my mom believe or does she believe in herself or does my, is my dad confident? I never, I didn't question that. And that's just interesting to hear you say that, that when we are confident and, and when we have strong faith and we trust in God, then we believe in ourselves too. That does help our kids have that same faith and firmness and confidence. Like, well, of course I can do anything and face anything and, and any trials that come my way because I was meant for this and I know who I am and I know who's on my side. You had and shared on Instagram a a few months ago, an incredible story about a woman you met in prison. And I just wanted you to talk about that story briefly, if you could, because it is such a beautiful story of, of how, of course you coming to know yourself in prison, but also making a true lifelong friendship and, and literally watching someone's life be completely changed, like an Alma the Younger experience for you (laughs) in prison with one of your bosses. Yeah. So Christina came into prison. She was 26 years old and I could already just see how lit up she was. She was just beautiful, sweet, kind. And, you know, right away, I just want, I mean, sometimes you just know somebody like I knew her in the pre-existence and it's like, we're meeting here. It's so beautiful. You know, you just feel that connection. And so they bumped her with me which, so we're in the same room and every night Christina gets on her knees and prays for like 45 minutes on a hard floor and pulling chair. And I'm just like, who is this girl? Yeah. She shares her story with me and I find out that she was raised so poor. You know, her mother was an addict. Her father committed suicide when she was nine months old. She, her mother, they lived in and out of hotel rooms, just poor, poor. Yet she'll tell me, she did tell me, she said, I was always protected. The elderly people were always loving me and reaching out to me in every community that I was in. So she wow. me, yeah. So she always felt she said Jesus was always with me, you know. So she she also had had a child and her her husband had been murdered, been shot, because they were both involved in the drug world. And and her husband's mother had taken care of her son. So she comes to prison with nothing. Her parents are both passed. Her grandfather is living still. And while she's in prison, he passes and he's the one person in her life. You know, I never heard her feel sorry for herself. She got up every day and took the elderly inmates to get breakfast. She she would bring, put nice notes on my locker. Everyone, I mean, she really was a joy to be there. Oh my goodness. I wondered, I was like, why is she here? She's here for us. She, you know, she's just here for us. And she, when I, when I leave prison, she throws her arms around me. She said, I love you so much. Will I see you again? And I said, absolutely. You know, I, I love you. I mean, we're, we're going to see each other again. And so she gets out, I get out, and she sends me this letter on an email. And she says, Portia, 
I started college. She's like a girl like me, college. She goes, I made the dean's list, you know? And she gets a job working in a care center for the elderly. And she meets this woman, and her name's Cecile. Cecile has had a stroke and she tells, and they become really close. And Cecile tells Christina, my husband died 20 years ago. I've been waiting for you. I can't die until you get baptized. I'm a member of my church. <laughs> Can you even believe it? So Christina calls me. She goes, she's a member of the church. You're a member of. And I'm talking to the missionaries. No way. Yeah. So I'm, I'm like, are you kidding me? So she's, she tells me, she says, I've been going to those 12-step meetings. She said, and I met this guy. and His name's Woody. And he he wants to meet with the missionaries too. And I, so I, I'm like, are you kidding me? So I talked to Woody and Woody goes, well, I just wanted to know where she gets her light from. I wanted to know what she has. <laughs> She's not even baptized yet, right? Oh my goodness. So she starts meet, he starts meeting with the missionaries and both of them get baptized. And I fly back and this is one of the most special experiences. It gets more special but this, this day. And I sat next to Cecile and I watched them get baptized. And I have this absolute knowing that we all knew each other before we came to earth. Cecile and Woody and Christina were sitting there together. And I just feel this joy and love. She gets baptized. I throw my arms around her and I leave and I'm just joyful. And then recently she calls and says, I'm going through the temple. And it was everything that could go wrong did in my son for me to get flight. To, to oh, get I'm, of course, of course. <laughs> but I made it. I had to fly to the temple. Like I couldn't even meet her. You know, I had to just meet her that day at the temple. And it's in, you know, in Missouri. And uh, and I'm sitting there with, with her. And we go through the temple. And, and we sit in the celestial room together. And she, she looks at me and she grabs my hands and she goes, we met in prison. And today we sat together in our Heavenly Father's highest kingdom of glory on the earth. And I felt the kind of joy that all that's only eternal, more joy than I've ever felt in my life. I have to say, even more joy than when I got married or my kids. <laughs> this is the kind of joy that just where you, that is, it's, it's what our Heavenly Father has in store for us. It's eternal yeah. joy. Yeah. And I think I, I have so much, so many blessings. My life is so much more beautiful today than it ever was. I don't have much money. I don't care about it. I got a preview of what matters by going to prison, you know, having everything taken. I'm like, what sure. are they? Not right. accomplishments, not, no title, nothing. Right. All I care about are these beautiful experiences. My life is so rich. And I think because of my pain, I know joy. I know joy that is is so beautiful. And because of that, I can see, you know, when I go to a prison or I go to a juvenile detention center, I see these amazing people and who they really are. And that is such a gift for me because I know when I see them, it gives them a moment to see themselves and maybe something to fight for. So yeah, I, I'm just so grateful. It was hard and I wouldn't want to do it again, but I'm so glad that happened and I would do it again to be where I am today. Well, and to be able, honestly, to share this story with people that are going through similar things, like it's one thing for someone like me to talk to troubled youth or 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 to go to a prison and speak and say, life gets better, you can do this. And they're like, what do you know? Because right. I haven't been there. But for someone like you to say, no, 
I've literally been in your shoes. I know exactly what you're feeling and still can say there is hope and happiness and that true unspeakable joy that's out there waiting and possible for you. Like, I don't know that there's a greater gift you can give someone than, than that hope, that, than optimism, something to look forward to. There's something to live for when they are just feeling like my life has completely fallen apart. You can say, but wait, mine did too. And now here's where I am. And there's something incredible waiting for you too. I just think that is the most amazing thing. And if, if people want to hear more, about your story. You did, like you said, write a book. Is that right? About Tell us what that's called and where people can find that. Probably easiest to find on Amazon. I have a website. You can go to portionlouder.com as well. And I'm really active on Facebook. So if I write people in prisons all over and my book is available, it's called Living Louder. It's available for people that are in prison across the country for free. They can download it on tablets it's available in the audio version as well. And it's just titled Living Louder and A Compassionate Journey Through Federal Prison. And it is some of these stories and more stories and what I learned and and then just the people that I met. And and then I'm writing another book and I <laughs> I meet so many amazing people. My life is so full and I'm just grateful, so grateful. So yeah, if, if there's somebody in the audience or somebody that's struggling or has a family member that's incarcerated, let me know. Send me a message on Facebook. I write letters all the time to people in prison. So it's my passion. It really is. Well, I, I just think it was, it, it, it was such a blessing to talk with you today and, and to just listen to your story. And I'm sure there are lots of people out there that are, it's unfortunate that, that you went through what you did like that, that's heartbreaking and breaks my heart and your and everything that led up to that and, and your childhood. But it's incredible to me how Heavenly Father can use anyone's life story to bless other people's lives if they turn it over to Him. And you, in doing that, like look at all of the lives now that you are blessing and that you are changing. And that's incredible that Heavenly Father can say, okay, well, I will take all these broken pieces and make them into something incredible. But it does, like you said, that first courageous step of talking to your bishop and saying, yep. I need help. I, and yep. just to do it can can change everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, Ask, reach out for help. Don't you give up because the best, you can't, I could not see a life this beautiful. There were times where I just couldn't see how, in the place that I was, I was ever going to get somewhere. Yeah. Because never, you are never lost, you know, and all of it can be for your good. Reach out for help, your bishop, people that you love, and just get honest with yourself. As scary as it is when you just own it, that doesn't have power over you anymore. You find freedom in truth and accountability. So. Thank you so much, Portia. Well, thank you for coming on and talking with me today and for all the good that you are doing. Thank you, Kurt. I am 
Carmen Herbert, and I'm so excited to tell you about an amazing app that my whole family loves. It's called Our Turtle House, and it's full of literally thousands of hours of full-length talks, just like the old talk on CDs or talk on tapes, from some of your favorite Latter-day Saint speakers like John By the Way, Mick Johnson, Hank Smith, me, and a ton more. Plus, there's podcasts, firesides, devotionals, come follow me resources, and entertaining content your whole family will enjoy, truly, all in one little app. And you can use promo code doing good, all one word, at checkout, and you get a full month free. So check it out and sign up at ourturtlehouse.com. See you soon.